I've been thinking a lot about believers in death. And what's interesting is, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of it. You all know my story. I mean, 30 years ago, my first wife passed away in childbirth. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm around it a lot. One of the things that f- I find interesting is a lot of people don't like to talk about death. And by the way, if you're one of those people, you picked a really bad day to show up here, okay? And I'm sorry, and I apologize. But I hope you're going to walk out of here just really encouraged. Because to me, what the Bible tells us, for those of us who know Jesus, uh, man, it's fabulous. Since I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. And it's a very interesting story. Stephen, one of the first leaders in the church, uh, is, is going to be stoned. But what's unique in this is that we kind of get it from his perspective. And to me, it's, it's a fascinating look and study in the midst of all of this. You know, God's perspective on death is way different than yours and mine. We look at it, we, we, you know, we don't get excited about it. For us, it's this sense of sorrow and loss, you know, especially for those of us that are left. But God sees it completely different. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it says this, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his godly ones, one of his saints. It's something because why? Because they get to go home and be with him. He knows what he has in store. And so this morning, I want to I wanna start with talking about the journey of death and dying. I want to talk about the destination. And I want to talk about the assurance. But let's read the text together. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. And it says, and when they heard this, now, just to give you a little context, the they there are the Jewish leaders. Stephen has been talking in the synagogue, then he's brought before the council, so they're in the council chambers. Whether that was on the Temple Mount or not, we don't know. But he has been talking to them about Jesus. He's been talking to them about how as Jewish leaders, they've always gotten it wrong. They have persecuted God's chosen ones. And now even Jesus they put to death. So that's the they. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They began gnashing their teeth at him. And being full of the Holy Spirit, He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. The witnesses laid their laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Now, when we talk about the journey, let me start with a little bad news here, okay? But then we'll turn it around, so don't Don't think we're going to go into the depths of depression. The first thing is this. Every believer's journey to and through death is different. 
So you can't find like one piece, you know, well, this is what happened to Paul, or this is what happened to Stephen, or this is what happened to the Apostle John, or this is what happened to Pastor Don, and think, okay, that's going to be me, because every journey is different. It's, you know, I've tried over the years to be very transparent with you as, as we have faced it, and as a family, and again, 30 some odd years ago, my first wife, who age of 23, complications came in. It was one of those things that was very sudden. It was out of the blue. It was, um, uh, you know, not anticipated at all. Uh, what, four years ago, many of you knew my brother-in-law, Greg. Uh, Greg, who had been a youth pastor here at one time, in mid, mid-age, 45, stricken with the disease that slowly eroded everything away until God finally took him home. Many of you knew my dad. You know, my dad, before he was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 89, was the most energetic, energetic 89-year-old you ever met, right? And then he gets this leukemia, and this leukemia takes his energy. And, 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 you know, the journey is different. I mean, you think about Stephen, one of the leaders of the church, and he's stoned. The apostle Paul, after all he did for the Lord, he's beheaded. John, though, best we understand, kind of gets to die of old age. Peter's crucified upside down. Everybody's journey is different. Here's the thing I want you to understand is that nowhere, though, are we promised that the journey is necessarily going to be easy. Now, let's be honest. If we could sign up for death, we'd all be about 100. We would be in great health. We would die in our sleep, and it would come as a surprise to everybody, right? You know, so we go to bed, we wake up in glory, everybody's surprised because we were in such good health at 100 years of age. That's how it would happen. That doesn't happen often. And I don't know where my journey is going to lead, and you don't know where your journey is going to lead. And, and the truth is, we're not promised there's going to be this perfect thing. You know, for two years, this is a whole leukemia, and watch it. It wasn't an easy journey. We don't have that promise. But here are the promises we do have. Number one, we have the promise of the presence of the Lord with us. Now this to me is the most fascinating piece of this passage. So what we have here is verse 55 and being full of the Holy Spirit. So God is with him. God is already beginning to prepare his heart. Now what's interesting is Stephen is not being stoned at that moment. When he starts seeing the veil pull back and starts gazing up into heaven and actually seeing Jesus, he's not being stoned. He's actually still in the city. He doesn't know where this is going to go, but God knows where this is going to go. And God is with him. And so God begins this whole preparation piece. He begins to pull back the veil. And folks, that is the promise that you and I have, is we have the promise of the presence of our God, that he is going to walk with us through this. I think of uh, of Scripture. You think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Quite honestly, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all we need. And then you look at verse 4, and David says, And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Folk, I don't know your journey. I don't know my journey. But I can tell you this. If you know Jesus, he is going to be with you. His presence will be there. And in his presence, what you will find is you will find the grace for that moment. You may not be able to imagine it now. Because you don't need the grace now. But in that moment, God will prepare your heart. Before Stephen is stoned, God begins to reveal. He begins to prepare him. And then what's hard to understand is you read this, and this is such a great story. Don't forget, Stephen is being stoned. Now, I don't get to choose my journey, but I can tell you, being stoned would not be at the top of my list, right? In fact, the way they typically did it was they would hold them down. It's not pelting him with little stones. It's taking big stones, people holding him down and crushing him with these stones. You lose that in this piece. Why? Because this is being told from Stephen's perspective of how God is ministering grace to him. Does it mean it didn't hurt? No, I'm sure it hurt. But in the midst of God's grace, in the midst of the stones, let's, Lord, forgive them. Lord, I'm coming to you here. My and in fact, did you notice the last two words? Having said this, he fell asleep. He's being stoned. Ah, <laughs> uh, but for Stephen, it was just going to sleep and waking up in glory. Because that's the promise that you and I have as believers, whatever our journey, that he will be with us and that his grace will be there for us each step of the way. You just have no idea how God begins to reveal himself. In fact, one of my heroes of the faith was a man by the name of D.L. Moody who was a great evangelist. And his son wrote in his, his autobiography or his biography about how in his death he had slipped into a coma and, it, and, and just really there's no signs of life for so long. And all of a sudden he awoke and this is what he said. D.L. Moody said, is this dying? Why, this is bliss. There's no valley here. I've been within the gates Earth is receding, heaven is opening, God is calling, and I must go. Folk, the promise we have is of his presence, of his grace for the journey, and the promise that he will walk us all the way home. You remember what Jesus' last words, some of his last words, He's up on a mountain. He just said, you got to go make disciples of all nations. And then he said this, and lo, I am with you. Excuse me? Always. Always. The promise the writer of Hebrews reminds us as in Hebrews 13, he himself said, I will never desert you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And for his children, he will walk us all the way home. And the beauty is you sit there by a loved one and you hold their hand and you take them as far as you can go. But there is only so far you can go. And to understand that they are in the hands of the Savior and he walks them all the way home. In fact, so much so that when Jesus was talking about this, 
at Lazarus' death, what he reminded them of was that his union with us is so great, it's not even really death. You say, huh? Yeah, John 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life, right? Great truth. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. There's a future resurrection. There's a hope. But get this next one. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What did he mean? What, what he understood was that the real us is not this body. That's why you can go in and have a gallbladder taken out. You don't come out less a person, right? Or you go in and get a tooth extracted, you're no less you. Why? Because this is just the body. And let me tell you, if you've ever been at that place of death, when the spirit leaves the body, you will never again have this question, this is just a tent. The real us is on the inside. And Jesus said, he who lives and believes in me will never die. Why? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Folk, it's a glorious thing. His promise is that he will be with us. He will give us the grace for the moment, and he will walk us all the way home. Now, one, one little thought here. One little thought is that the more you walk with Jesus in this life, the more you walk by faith, the easier it's going to be to trust him when you get there. So, two years ago, we get called. Uh, he had been in. He wasn't feeling good. And they'd done some blood trust. The doctor calls us. You need to get to the emergency room right now. Something's going on with your blood. So we get him there. My mom's there. I'm there. The doctor walked in so sweet and said, listen, uh, stuff's going on in your blood. All your counts are down. We're seeing some cells that look like leukemia. Now, the moment she said leukemia, I went, oh, my goodness. I thought that was a young person disease. He's like... 89 years old and I'm processing my mom's standing over there my dad's not processing my dad's sitting up on that little gurney going well I'm ready to go my bags are packed I know Jesus this is going to be a glorious day we're going to go home in fact so much so the doctor said whoa wait a minute there fella you're not going anywhere today of course she didn't know that he would get two years she thought it'd be a couple weeks but he God gave him two years but Here's the thing. My dad would walk with Jesus a lot. And I want to be really clear here. If you haven't known Jesus for a while, a short period, or if you've known him for a long time and you haven't walked with him, please understand what I'm saying. It does not mean that he will not be with you. He will. It's his promise. This has nothing to do with whether you walk with him or not. And it doesn't mean that he won't give you grace. He will. That is his promise. And it doesn't mean that he may or may not walk you all the way home. No, that's his promise. Whether you, brand new Christian, walk with them all your life or didn't walk with them very much at all. That's his promise. This piece is for you, though. If you've never walked in that place where you've had to trust him and to see his faithfulness, then as you look at the journey, your heart might have a hard time knowing the peace and knowing that he is going to be with you, right? Because you haven't tust, tasted and touched his faithfulness yet. You're going to find him to be faithful in this. But how much better, how much better today to follow Jesus to find that he is faithful 
so that as you approach that journey, you know he is going to do it. He is. You're going to figure that one out. But all to know that. In fact, I was standing in the shower today, getting ready. I was kind of thinking through this, and I don't know who needs this. This was just a random thought. But, you know, it's amazing to me how many Christians have a hard time even trusting God with 10% of their income. Right? Ooh, Steve, you're getting personal. Okay, it was in the shower. I took it as of the Lord. But we have a hard time trusting him with even that, that he'll make it through. But I tell you, when you learn to trust him with that, and you learn to trust him with your life, and following the Lord, and standing up for truth even when, and you see his faithfulness, and you see his provision, it makes it a lot easier to trust him as you're getting into the journey. Does that make sense? Journey. Let's talk about the destination. Now, many of you who know me, you know that being theologically accurate is really important, something that we, we always try really hard to be. And this is one of those things that I, I want to be really clear because so often when you talk about the destination, people think heaven. And quite honestly, heaven really isn't the destination. Theologically, the destination is to be with Jesus. Because here's the thing, today... If we go be with Jesus, when my dad took his last breath a week ago, where did he go? He went to be with Jesus. Well, where's Jesus today? Jesus today is in heaven, right? In fact, you look here in, in uh, verse uh, 55 and 56. He, he, he sees Jesus standing there at the right hand of God. The heavens are open. That's where he is today. But that's not where he's going to be forever. In fact, you get to Revelation 21, which we're going to get to in a little bit. And it's not heaven. He makes now a new heaven and a new earth. And where is Jesus going to be? He's going to be on the new earth. And we're not going to be stuck in heaven away from Jesus. We're going to be with Jesus. That is the destination. We get to be with him. When Jesus in John 14 says, I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am. Folk, this is the beauty. That's the destination is that we get to go be with Jesus wherever he's at. He can't get rid of us. We get to go be with him. For all of eternity, we get to live in his presence. And folks, wherever that is, where the Bible talks about it, it is a place of great beauty. It's a grace a place of great light in fact uh, turn with me back to revelation uh last book of the new testament revelation 21 in fact chapter 21 verse 21 it says in the 12 gates the 12 gates there in that new jerusalem on the new earth were made of 12 pearls each gate was a single pearl can you imagine that the streets of the city were pure gold, like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine. Why? For the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Their glory is what is going to illuminate. 
delight the whole place. Verse 24, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. Verse 25, in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never close. And notice verse 27, and nothing unclean. No one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, when we get home, it is going to be a place of incredible beauty, of incredible light, because we will dwell in the very presence of our God. And folks, that's really the heart of it. You know, we get so excited, streets of gold and all this, but, but man, the heart of it is, is where Jesus is. And so we get to live in all of eternity in the presence of God. The presence of God in all of his glory. You can't help but think of that story of the transfiguration where Jesus is transfigured and some of the veil is moved away and his glory and Peter sits there and goes, man, it is good for us to be here. Why? Because in his glory, his presence, what is there? Well, there's love, there's mercy, there's compassion. Remember when Moses and God passed by and God is a God of unfailing love and the glory of the God and his presence. For those of us who have walked with the Lord, can you maybe think of that moment, that time in your life when when you were just overwhelmed with the goodness, the faithfulness of God and that feeling that your spirit had and to realize we are going to live in that. If I notice... Back in the first part of Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4, and he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And we shall dwell, he shall dwell among them. They shall be his people. And God himself will wipe away all their tears. And there shall no longer be any death. And there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have all passed away. Folk, we are going to get to dwell in the presence of God. And you think about what that, he he talks about what's not going to be there. There's no tears. You know why there's no tears there? Because there's only happiness. There's no death. Why? Because there's only life. There's no mourning because there's only joy. There's no crime because there's only satisfaction and fulfillment. There's no pain because there's only wholeness. There's only perfection. We are going to get to dwell in the presence of our God forever. And the glory of who he is, that's the destination. We get to go be with Jesus. We also get a new body. Ah, Now, I know some of you are so young, you haven't figured that one out yet that that's a good thing, right? Yeah, some of the young people, hey, this one's not so bad. Trust me, give it another 10, 15 years. And I think of my dad, who before he he got sick, was the most energetic 89-year-old guy I think anybody had ever seen. In fact, it was interesting. Before he was diagnosed, I mean, man, they had, they had been overseas a couple times. They had been to Hawaii. They would just done all of this. And he just went. And now that body. And my dad was such a driver. He, he, he just, he was driven to help him. In fact, one of the things, I don't know what happened to the guy, actually. 
Because when we were kids, he didn't do anything around the house. And then I get married, and all of a sudden, he becomes like this do domestic diva at home. And he, do he does the laundry on Saturdays, and he does the floors, and he does the, the dishes. He, he empties and, and loads the dishwasher and becomes a terrible example to my wife. Because she thinks I grew up seeing this is what a man should do. He had never done it before. I don't understand. But those were his jobs. And I can remember a couple weeks ago as he said, well, he says, Steve, he says, I, you know, I was able to get the dishwasher loaded and unloaded, but he said I had to sit down six times to catch my breath. Body was wearing out. Man, but we get a new body when we get home. And that new body's kind of interesting. John tells us, John tells us that when we see him, we will be like him. Like him. So we kind of get a body that's kind of like Jesus. In fact, turn, if you will, back to 2 Corinthians, because this is such a great passage of Scripture. And this is one that has meant so much to me over the years with all that we've gone through. This is one that we, we've read around the, the, my dad's bed and talked about the things of heaven. But we're going to get a body. In fact, notice what he says here, 2 Corinthians 5.1. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down... That we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, that's eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So that, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Paul says we know that when this body is torn down, we have a building of God. John tells us it's going to be like Jesus' body. So what was Jesus' resurrection body like? Well, it, it kind of appeared like his old body. Most people, when they saw him, knew who it was. There were a couple times that it says that he purposely kept them from knowing who he was. But we're going to, I think we're going to know each other. I think that this idea that we're going to know even as we are known, we're going to be recognizable to one another. But the other thing that's cool about Jesus' body is not only is it not going to grow old, so sometimes people think, well, Jesus was like 33. Maybe that's the age of our body when we get to heaven. I'm not sure about that. But Jesus, Jesus had the ability for that body both to be seen and not seen. Either that or he was really quick. I don't know. Because remember, the disciples on the night of the resurrection gathered in the upper room and were told specifically all the doors were locked and all of a sudden Jesus was in the middle. He walked with two guys from Emmaus and was having dinner and when he finally revealed to them who he was, immediately he was gone. So that ability to appear, to, to be seen by human eyes, to not be seen by human eyes, but it's a body that's going to live forever body that can eat but it doesn't need food a body that can breathe but it doesn't need oxygen a body that will never die now the interesting question is when when do we get that body now there's there's disagreement and quite honestly some of you are going to disagree with my take on this and that's okay we can still be friends I don't care if you're wrong okay you know it's it's all right 
But most people, if you were to ask them that question, they would say, we get that body at the resurrection. I'm going to argue with you that that's not the case. I'm going to argue with you that the biblical idea of 2 Corinthians 5 is that we get that body at death. Notice what he says. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is this body, is torn down, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, that's eternal in the heavens. For in this house we groan, longing to be clothed on with our dwelling. Now remember, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. All those people have died. Does it mean that they're still longing to be clothed with their body from heaven? 2,000 years down the line? In fact, Paul even says in verse 4, For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed. We don't want our spirit just to be floating around without a body. But we want to be clothed so that which is, that which is mortal be swallowed up by life. So, you say, do we have any bit? Well, remember the transfiguration. Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. They have bodies. They've not been resurrected. If you take Lazarus, the story of Lazarus as a rich man, as a story and not just a parable, and Jesus never gave specific names in parables, Remember, it was the rich man, have Lazarus come, dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in the flame. You have Revelation chapter 7 where the tribulation saints who have not been resurrected are holding palm branches in their hands. They are given white robes to clothe themselves with. I think God made our spirits to always inhabit a body. I think that's why the promise here in 2 Corinthians, we know that if this tent is torn down, I think we get that new body right away and then when Jesus comes, we come with him in glory and then we come and we're now a part of that resurrection and now that body which is eternal becomes that resurrected body and proclaims to all creation and to all the heavenly host many of whom have rebelled against God that Jesus is Lord. We get a new body. We also get to be reunited in those relationships with believers of all the ages. And we've been talking about with my dad and all the people who have gone on and be, to see them again and to talk with them again and Greg being there and Pam being there and, and his bang of my grandmother and all these people who are there to, to love and to understand that we will never be separated again. And then to meet Paul and Timothy and to talk to Moses and Elijah and to all the saints who have lived what a glorious day in fact that's what he says then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and so we shall always be with the Lord man what a glorious glorious day that's going to be and then you think about this that man on that day the battle's over you know, as believers, we talk about this all the time. We talk about gospel impact. We talk about counterculture. That we live in a world that doesn't get us. That a world that wasn't made for us. In fact, a world that the enemy, the prince and power of the air is against us. He's our enemy. He's trying to trip us up. He's the thief who tries to kill and destroy. And so this entire life of trying to live for Jesus in this battle. But when we get home, man, that battle is over. 
No more temptation. No more sin. Songwriter put it like this. But just think about stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Of touching a hand and finding it God's. Of breathing new air and finding it celestial. Of waking up in glory and finding it home. So the question becomes, how can't you get excited about that, right? Well, as a believer, man, our best days are in front of us. It's the heart of our Christian worldview. It's a two-world view that this world is not our home. We've got a better day coming. Now, for those of us that are left, it's tough. And we grieve and we hurt and we mourn. But we don't grieve and mourn for them. They got the best end of the bargain. We grieve and we mourn for ourselves because the loss is horrendous. The loneliness is real. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we too look forward to that day when we will stand in his presence. Let me finish with this, the assurance. And this is such a great piece because the truth is, is we can know. We can know without a shadow of doubt. In fact, did you see how Paul even starts this verse here in chapter 5? For we know, we know, we know to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We know there's no hope so, there's no guess so, there's no think so. We know. We know that we have eternal life. And I love this quote by D.L. Moody. He used to say this when he preached. He said, listen, someday you're going to read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. Because on that, on that day and in that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall just have gone up higher, that is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like into his glorious body, folks. We can know. We can know because Jesus conquered death. Jesus came. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus has come to take that power, the fear of death away. Because we can know that knowing Jesus, he is the resurrection and the life. That if you know Jesus personally, you don't have to fear death. You can live with absolute, total assurance that to be absent from this body is to be present with Jesus. To know when that journey begins for you that he will be with you every step of the way. He will give you grace for every moment and he will walk you safely through the valley of the shadow of death and bring you home safe and secure if you know him. I love how his friend John put it in his little book, 1 John. In chapter 5, verse 13, he put it like this. These things I've written to you, here's the key, who believe. Who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Not hope, not guess, not merely think, but you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is found in Jesus to all who believe.